Hello and welcome to the LMA podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the next episode of LMA's P3 podcast series. My name is Christopher Endy and I'll be moderating today's discussion, which will focus on professional development and will build upon last year's Professional Development and the Three P's podcast. Today we will cover a number of topics related to professional development, including leadership, people management, and networking. I'm delighted to be joined by two incredibly seasoned and knowledgeable presenters, Melissa Prince from Ballard's Bar and David Cambria from Archer Daniels Mifflin. In addition to bringing a wealth of experience to the discussion, our presenters today represent both sides of the table in terms of their perspectives and experiences. Melissa from the law firm side and David from the corporate legal department side. So before we dive in, I'd love to give Melissa and David a chance to introduce themselves. So Melissa, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Chris. I'm glad to participate today. I am the Director of Pricing and Legal Project Management at Ballard Spar, and I've been in my role for about two years. Um, before that, I was at a couple of other AMLA 25 firms, and I'll explain a little bit more, I guess, about my background as we talk a little bit more today. Great, David. My name is David Cambry. I'm the Global Director of Operations for Law Compliance and Government Relations at Archer Daniels Midland. I spent the last 20 plus years or so helping corporate law departments manage the things they do day to day. Um, most recently spent some time at CDW and before that with my uh, current boss, Cam Finley, we were both at Aon. Great. Well, just a, a minute background from me as well. Uh, I'm Chris Endy. Uh, I'm currently the law firm pricing and panel management leader at GE, uh, part of the legal operations group, um, and focus on our outside counsel spend management program and uh, thinking about how to get better value to GE from its outside counsel relationships. Before that, I was also at an AmLaw 50 law firm where I uh, focused on pricing and project management, so uh, sort of bring both sides of the table from, from my perspective. In addition to that, I just wanted to mention as well that I'm uh, honored to be one of the co-chairs of the 2018 uh, P3 conference, which will take place in May in Chicago. Christina Lambright from Perkins Coie is the other co-chair. Um, we're extremely excited about the conference, so in addition to uh, hoping everyone enjoys this podcast, uh, I hope to see you at the P3 conference in May. All right, with that, I'm excited to jump in. Uh, before we, we dive in, I'd David and Melissa, I think it would be great to start uh, with a little more background about your career path and have you sort of walk us through um, how you got to where you are today and uh, kind of highlight along the path any of the sort of the key moments in the way that you developed in your current role uh, and how you got there. So, uh, Melissa, why don't we go ahead and kick off with you? Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Um, I started out as an attorney and I practiced complex commercial litigation for about 10 years after law school. And um, I ended up transitioning into this role a little bit by accident. Um, I was looking to make a career move, and I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. And um, someone gave me a great boss. One of my previous bosses gave me an opportunity to kind of transition from the practice of law to, um, to the finance side of things. And I started out as a senior legal project management analyst in um, in the finance department of a big law firm. And it was something that was ex extremely risky for me to do. Um, I had a pretty great job at the time, but I wasn't completely happy in terms of feeling satisfied in my career. 
Um, and so I think one of the biggest um, experiences in terms of learning for me through that is that um, I, I really had to take a risk, and I wasn't sure if that risk was going to really pan out. And I'm so glad that it did, and I'm so glad that I, you know, it's kind of led me to where I am today. Um, I had some great mentors along the way, and I think that was, you know, kind of what pushed me to continue in my career path. And I also had to make a couple of law firm transitions as I thought about what my, you know, career goals were going to look like. So my next job was at, as a manager of legal project management, and I came into a firm where there was already an existing team. And I feel like the biggest challenge in that was kind of um, learning from other people's mistakes. And um, the reason why I ended up at Ballard Spar is because I kind of wanted to develop my own team and my own approach to things. And so I was looking for a mid to larger size firm where they hadn't yet fully embarked in pricing and project management, and I could have my own, you know, I could really just start from the ground up in developing a team of people. And so I started as a manager of legal project management, the very first one. There was a pricing director who was in the role at the time I started, and after a couple of months, he ended up leaving to take a job at another firm, and they asked me to be in charge of both pricing and legal project management. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am. Great, Melissa. Well, well thanks for that. And I, I loved your comment about falling into this by accident. I feel like uh, so many of us, including me, uh, have that uh, share that similar experience, uh, especially uh, those of us who, who started out as a you know, sort of a practicing attorney and made the transition. And uh, hopefully that I think that's changing now that these uh, roles are becoming uh, more prevalent and certainly uh, more elevated in terms of what we do. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, David, uh, can you give us a little background about uh, your role and how you got there? Sure. I, too, am a recovering lawyer. Um, <clears throat> early on in my career, um, after having graduated from law school, I really thought long and hard about the path I wanted to take. And at the time, the, the nomenclature was alternative legal career before there really was anything really established around alternative legal careers. And I spent my initial part of my uh, the initial part of my time um, really working with the folks at West Publishing up in Minnesota, uh, and there I learned and touched upon many different things, especially around the business law, around product innovation and development, around trying to service the needs of lawyers uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. My path then kind of meandered on to a couple of. Um, vendors who were serving the law departments and uh, law firms, and ultimately led me to a consulting career at what was the newly formed Huron Consulting Group at the time. While at Huron, I spent a lot of time in corporate law departments helping them struggle through and manage through all of the things around operational excellence, technology, people, organizational design, all those things that really um, a lot of law departments today I struggle with and deal with in trying to manage their law functions, law departments as a as a business function. While there, I met with lots of departments and ultimately met with and did work with uh, Cam Finley, who was a newly appointed general counsel at AM. He asked me to join internally and work with him internally, uh, which I did, and I helped build out a legal operations function there. Again, that was early 2000s. Cam ultimately left AM to take an opportunity 
at uh, Medtronic in Minneapolis. I stayed back in Chicago, and it wasn't until a few years later when Cam returned to Illinois that we decided, he decided to uh, bring the band back together again, as it were, and that's where I spent the last four years of my uh, career at um, Archer Daniels Midland. The other thing I did in parallel and tangentially to all of that is I actually um, have been pretty active in the uh, organizational space and folks who help manage and help grow the legal operations function. I helped create the uh, operations chapter for the ACC. I was one of the co-founders of CLOCK. Um, also had regional and localized groups here in Chicago and the Midwest, as well as helped co-found uh, a group called the um, Forum on Legal Evolution. Great, David. Well, well, thank you for that background. It's it's uh, really interesting to hear from both of you, kind of how your career sort of played out, and and David, especially for you being at sort of the forefront of the the legal operations world, and uh, to have seen all of the changes that have come about, and and the growth of that uh, profession sort of in the last few years has been, uh, I, I'm sure, very interesting for you to watch, having been one of the the pioneers. Well, with with those great sort of uh, introductions and ground laying, let me uh, sort of jump into our first uh, big topic, which is. Uh, leadership and in thinking about professional development, um, you know it's sort of clear from the the introductions you both gave that you were successful in elevating your roles into leadership roles within your organization. Um, you know, let me start with a really simple question. You know, how did you do it? Um, you know, considering all the challenges. And, and David, maybe I'll I'll kick that one off to you to start. Thanks, Chris. I think it's been a it's been a journey of a thousand steps, and in large part, there are a couple of forces that helped drive the growth and leadership of the role, and for me personally, and I think for others uh, in the profession. Number one is, simply put, nothing succeeds like success. And a lot of what we do very early on in the development of these roles within organizations do provide some very real and tangible results, very real and tangible things that people can measure quite simply, whether it's through cost savings or whether it's through making their daily lives better. And it's through those smaller successes that people start to lean on you more and more to solve more complex and more difficult problems. The other thing is that lawyers typically uh, don't spend a lot of time in their career paths doing these things that make them operationally aware. And so the other thing that oftentimes leads to your success is is the the whole notion that what they're actually doing um, or what you're actually being allowed to do are things that they often don't spend a lot of time thinking about or doing. And so because of the the ability to address those problems in a very simple, straightforward way to distill the complex down to the simple, a lot of times what you see is the, the lawyer's are more than happy to hand that off to you and stick to their lawyering and let you handle those things that actually help make the practice of law better and easier. Great. Well, they're very interesting in that. And Melissa, anything, anything to add in terms of your perspective on um, kind of how you get to that sort of leadership level position? I think, Chris, that the most important thing to me um, and, and the way that I've really kind of evolved into this role over the years has been to de- to de- really develop relationships with the lawyers at the firms where I've been working. Um, I think, especially on the law firm side, um, lawyers typically think that the way that they're doing things is the right way, and they're skeptical to change. And so, my role, largely, has you know that I've seen myself be in, is really an agent for change and really changing the culture of the firms where I've been. 
Um, I think my current role at Ballard has been the most fulfilling in that sense because I feel like we're now at the point in kind of the precipice of where we're going with legal operations and pricing and legal project management and profitability where people are finally starting to get it. And so it hasn't been as tough of a sell as it was initially when I started doing this and it was new and people didn't really understand it. Um, and I think that what we try to sell and, you know, talk to our partners about on a day-to-day -day basis is really that they've been doing this stuff for years, but um, now we just need to take a much more disciplined approach. And it hasn't been that tough of a sell because our clients are demanding it, you know, as you and David both know. Um, so we're coming at it from a place of this is what clients want and how do we make them happy. Um, but I'm also really a resource on the law firm side. Um, a lot of times what I have to do is really walk partners through the process that they might not be familiar with and really hold their hands a lot. And so it's been about developing relationships more so than anything else, getting people to trust me um, when they when they tend to be skeptical. Yeah, I, and I think that point's a great one, Melissa, on, on building up trust over time. I mean, I think you know, your experience is similar to the one I had sort of at the, being in a law firm, which is it just it happens over time, and, and especially in a partnership model, sometimes it can take you know one person at a time to sort of start to uh, gain that kind of trust and you know put yourself into positions to you know be asked to do more. Um, I want to push just a little more in terms of the leadership, and you, you clearly have both gotten there. Um, you know, one of the challenges I think is how do you how do you prepare when you do get that opportunity? So, you know, whether it's uh, you know being in a law firm and you know starting out, um, you know, helping. Uh, kind of lawyer by lawyer, case by case, and and slowly finding your way into a position where maybe you're um, providing insights into sort of the larger strategic picture of where the firm may be going around repricing or profitability or project management or or David in your role, um, you know, starting out with some of the more operational focus and then you know being asked to move into a more strategic role in terms of where things are going as opposed to you know just keeping the trains running. Um, as you do work hard and get those opportunities. You know, how do you how do you learn how to handle that? Um, how do you go from you know sort of that more basic level to something where you're you're put in front of let's say a leadership group at the firm or in your department and asked now to advise on strategy? Um, is that something that just happens naturally, or you know what can people do to sort of prepare themselves for being successful when those opportunities uh, do arise? David, do you want to you want to jump in first on that one? Yes, Chris, thanks. I'll give it a try here. I think the uh, the one thing to to start is that, to start with, is this whole notion of the nimbleness of thought, the experience and strategic decisions that we make throughout our careers really do transcend all sorts of departments and groups within our organizations, whether it be on the law firm side or in-house at a corporate law department. And so what I always suggest to people is that they break down the complex issues they have to their fundamental or basic elements. And oftentimes that's where lawyers are really at their best is to distill a whole set of facts, issues, and things happening in them around them on a regular basis and to bring those down to their essence and then try to solve for that or for the root cause. What you'll find is while your experiences are unique to your organizations in the legal space, they're not necessarily unique to the other departments that exist within your organizations. In fact, 
a lot of what people's training is from the um, from the business side is all around doing that. And so where I tend to find the role growing, where I tend to find things that we can do to help develop what we're doing and to develop those responsibilities is to align yourself with the different, more broader initiatives that sit within your organizations and help plug into those uh, in the same way that you help plug into the problems that uh, exist within your organization. Because what you'll find is a lot of the elements and skills you use day to day do, do transcend well into those other pieces. That also gives you exposure to different ways that people tend to solve for those, to different uh, ideas of what success is, and also leads you to other networks of individuals to tap into to help solve your problems. The other thing I would say as just a side note is that we tend to be as an organization and group of individuals in the operations world and in the P3 world uh, very collaborative in our desires to help and work with each other. And so spending a lot of time talking to your peers who are working through and dealing with a lot of the same issues uh, at different organizations also proves very helpful. David, I think that last point you made is, is so incredibly important. I mean, the the ability to tap into sort of a network of people who, who've done this before, um, you know, certainly for me was invaluable in terms of, you know, growing my career. And, you know, whether it's, you know, at the law firm side, having a great community of people you can tap into or certainly – you know, having just moved to the corporate uh, legal department side a year ago, uh, you know, David, I know you personally have been uh, very helpful to me and, and many others too, uh, helping share experiences. And, uh, you know, it's just a huge benefit to tap into the, the, the knowledge base of your peers. So I think that's some great advice. Melissa, let me just, you know, sort of ask sort of this sort of big question, I think, you know, for any of us in the space, I always love to talk about, which is, you know, where do, we, where do you see these roles going? Um, you know, in terms of the growth of both on the law firm side as well as the corporate legal department side, um, it seems like over the last especially, you know, two to five years, there's been incredible growth both in the number of opportunities as well as, uh, more importantly, I guess, the, um, the way that the roles are perceived by both law firms and, and corporate legal departments. Um, you know, any sense as you look into your crystal ball about, you know, how far we could go and how far up the value chain these, these positions might go? Well, I think it's really exciting where things are going. From my my perspective at this point, the sky is kind of the limit. Um, and I think that I'm seeing now some of my peers who are in the same or similar roles as I, I am in the last couple of years kind of moving into the areas that they love um, in the sense that, you know, certain people are really focused on strategic pricing and now there are more operations-focused roles and roles that are more focused in, you know, data analytics. And I think that my passion and the place where I'm headed is more towards a client value role in the sense that um, I see our department kind of moving from the back office to the front office. And I see there is, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity to have a seat at the table during client negotiations with partners and clients and um, it, and I've been able to do that several times in the past um, year or so in a way that, you know, I never had the opportunity in the past. Um, you know, with the with RFPs evolving the way that they are and the focus being more on the P3s, you know, profitability, pricing, legal project management, our roles are much more um, important, I think, at the law firm level. And so it's just exciting to see where it's heading. 
Um, and I, you know, we also can be involved on almost on every level, especially in a law firm, in order to promote value for clients. Um, I'm seeing myself being involved in more of the practice-focused technology discussions, but there's also a place in interacting more closely with finance and accounting through the billing process and through e-billing. Um, and also, um, you know, working directly with the practice groups and departments and the leadership there to really, you know, they have the experience on the client side with, you know, the types of matters that they're handling and, you know, repetitive matters and even new matters that are coming in. But I think our team um, and the teams at law firms and and at the client level are really focused on um, on what works best in terms of value. And so there's really a way to effectively partner on every level at the firm. Great. And, and David, from your perspective, I'm interested on the on the corporate uh, legal department side. I know you know even just a few years ago when when I was at a firm, it, it seemed like you know you know many companies had sort of a one one person who was sort of heading up uh, legal operations. And now it, it seems like there's a there's a growth not just in terms of the number of companies that have that role, but you know, now there are whole teams that can, can support legal operations. Um, interested in your perspective on where you think things are going on the, on the corporate legal department side. I think what we're, what we're seeing on the corporate legal operations side is a continued awareness and growth, not only in the prominence of the role, but in the skill set of the people handling the role or sitting in the role. Initially, when some of those roles uh, started out, Chris, as you pointed out, they were one or two person teams focused primarily on finance and budgetary constraints. But as legal technology has evolved, as systems within corporate law departments have uh, really grown more enterprise wide um, and are, are engaging the folks in the law department as operations have become more global and more complex, the operations professional skill set has really expanded into those areas more and more. And so what you've seen is an elevation of the role, not only in positional influence within the organization, but also a growing of the role in terms of the skill set required to do that. I think as you continue to evolve that role, you will see a strengthening of that position as an influencer and a growing leader within the law department to help the general counsel really drive the business initiatives of the law department to the business initiatives of the organizations they work for. On a parallel side, uh, and really we talked about this uh, briefly here, on the other side, the law firms are getting better at really putting people in place within their organizations to help drive the value, help drive uh, the pricing discussions, help drive the know-how around this thing called a legal transaction as those roles begin to evolve and begin to develop, I think then what you'll see is an even more uh, pressing need in corporate law departments to make sure that what they're asking for is clearly articulated and clearly defined in terms of value and quality in order to meet the law firms where they're trying to meet their corporate law departments. Great, David. Thank you for that. I'd um, love to switch topics now. I mean, I feel like we could have gone, we could go forever on, on any of these topics, but um, want to get your thoughts uh, a little bit, both of you, on, on people management, um, which I'm, I'm guessing is a big part of your roles. Um, and, and let me start, and listen to me by asking just, 
in terms of all the different things that are on your plate, how much of your current role involves managing people? Um, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, whether that's managing up or managing down and sort of how that plays into your sort of day-to-day work. Well, I think if you really think about it, probably 95% of my job involves managing people on some level um, because I obviously have a team of people that report to me, and I feel like that's the easiest part of my day-to-day job. And then um, I'm also constantly interacting with other administrative departments in the firm, some of which I have a dotted line relationship to, some of which that I don't. And oftentimes we have overlapping roles and responsibilities which require me to on some level manage um, people that are involved in those roles. Um, and then also just the, the majority of what I'm doing is you know, day-to-day interaction, interaction with the attorneys at our firm and our clients. And um, I think managing up is the most challenging part of my job in many, in many respects because as we were talking about earlier, we really are involved in, um, from my perspective, a, a really crucial and important time in the evolution of the, you know, the movement in terms of law firm and client relationships, and it's about changing existing firm culture. So, um, you know, a lot of what I do is counseling and advising and making recommendations and giving, you know, pricing options and fee arrangement options and talking to our partners about how to best manage their matters on a day-to-day basis. And, um, and so, there is, so it's, it's one-on-one ac- interaction throughout the day, um, the majority of my, you know, the time spent at work and outside of work as well. And, and just sort of following up on that, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the managing up is, is a lot of what you do and the most challenging part. Um, you know, any, any tips or tricks or, or, or things that you've picked up over the course of your career that sort of have helped you in terms of, of being effective um, in managing up? I guess the most important part is to really understand what you're talking about and not to talk so so much at a high level that you don't really understand what's going on in the weeds. So the thing that I've really tried to do throughout my career and I feel like I've been somewhat successful at is, you know, is is starting out in the weeds, understanding how our accounting systems work, understanding, you know, how the systems that we have to model fee arrangements work. Understand, you know, kind of understanding the pressure points in terms of billing and accounting that our attorneys go through, and then just like looking at things from their perspective. So always thinking about, you know, if a client is coming and they and you know they're cost sensitive, what does that mean for us? And being willing to think about providing options, um, and not just, you know, I, and I think it's really about leading. Um, you know, being in a leadership role like this, we have to um, we have to think about leading as well as as listening to people's needs, and so that's constantly what I'm focused on. Um, and I think that if I, you know, just came up with great ideas and I wasn't able to implement them, I would lose credibility at the firm. And so it's about how to make things happen. I think um, on the team level and really rolling up my sleeves and being heavily involved. So, um, for example, we get, I don't know, at least five or ten emergency pricing requests per day that come in that need to, you know, be dealt with immediately, and I don't usually pass 
them all off to my team. You know, we really, we have a team email distribution list. I constantly um, am monitoring it, and some, the first available person takes um, whatever comes in, and, and we really walk through a detailed process with people to make sure that they understand what we're doing. And I think that that's kind of made a world of difference in terms of developing a relationship and gaining credibility at the firm. And that, in my mind, is a key to managing up. Yeah, that's that, some great points you made there, a whole bunch of them. I mean, one, one that sort of really resonated with me was the, uh, you know, getting enough into the weeds to really understand kind of your world. And um, I, I've certainly had the the, the learning moment uh, at law firms of, you know, uh, you know, being being in an office one-on-one -on -one with a partner and, and, and not having answers I should have had. And um, that can be really challenging to come back from. And um, I think, you know, making sure you – are kind of the owner of your domain is, is a huge start in terms of helping to, to push that change management. So really, really good points. Uh, David, anything anything to add from your perspective in terms of you know managing up and down and, and some of the challenges and how you how you dealt with them? So I think the one thing to add on the theme that both uh, you and Melissa talked about really is from my side of the world, understand how your company makes money is a very important factor in really driving the initiatives within your department and understanding how your department should best deliver legal services to your organization that are going to resonate with your ultimate clients. Um, and so very similar to what you touched upon, Melissa, in understanding how the firm uh, makes money, how the accounting works, how the math works, understanding how your organizations make money is a key, a key component here as well. On the people side, I would add to this. I would say Everything we do in-house touches upon someone's world in some way. And so we're constantly managing uh, people, uh, whether it be through change management or through influence, whether it's trying to change their desire or show them that uh, what we're trying to accomplish is really for a greater good and ultimately, ultimately leads to a more efficient practice of their law so they, they can focus on those things that really do excite them and get them eager to show up for work every day is a lot of what we spend our time doing. And because legal departments tend to really span the entire organization horizontally, there's a ton of management upward and downward and sideways throughout our day. Almost everything we do is all about managing the expectation, managing the change, and helping them see the ultimate goal that's for the benefit of everyone. And if you can't align what you're doing to some of the ultimate goals, it really is pushing on a piece of string to get these things completed and done. And so a lot of what we do then is spend our time pre-planning at the front end. What are the things we're going to go after? What are the things we're going to use as our guidepost for measuring success and as a guidepost after we've implemented these things to make sure they're still working to show that the end result is really worth the effort? And that's really what we do um, around the expectation setting and the goal setting. Great. And, and David, just, just sort of following up on that a little bit, you talked a little bit about the end goal. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how, how to drive change within, you know, organizations? And, and look, lawyers, you know, uh, I think it's fair to say have a reputation for not always embracing change. So, so when you have those situations where, you know, you may have an end goal in sight, but it involves you know, thinking differently about either how you think about, you know, delivering legal services to your business partners in a, in a, in a company or, you know, thinking, Melissa, on your end differently about how you deliver legal services to your clients. 
um, you know, how do you motivate lawyers to sort of think differently and get outside their comfort zone? And, and any any success stories you have, uh, you know, upon doing that? Always a challenge, right? Whether it's lawyers or otherwise, getting people to change is never easy. And so a lot of times what I do is I spend time reminding them of the ultimate goal. It's a goal that we've collaborated on and that they agree on. And um, because of that, then how do we drive processes and how do we drive those changes to get to the ultimate goal? Um, and we really discern around, okay, if you don't want to do it this way, how do we get there some other way? And sometimes you can't. And so that helps drive the change because they understand that it's not change for change sakes. It's change tied to a specific initiative or goal. Um, so that's the, that's the one approach. The other approach is really more simple and straightforward in a corporate law department, more of a challenge I would suspect in a law firm, which is a top-down kind of demand or understanding of what's happening in your law department. And in order to do that around cost or who I'm engaging with or how we engage and work our matters, I have to have some consistency and standards throughout my organization. And so we tie it to very much the individual goals of the general counsel and say, look, for these processes, for these things, I know it's not a natural act for you to do the things we're asking you to do today, but ultimately it will help you deliver what um, our bosses are asking us to do. Uh, and when I do that, then we always try to do things like keep the information we ask and request of them very concise and very much uh, tailored toward the task we're trying to accomplish. We keep it very much uh, consistent in terms of our approach and our, uh, our fields and how we engage with technology, whether it's we push the technology and information to them or we have them come to a system. Um, we're very consistent with how we do that in the look and feel. And then we repeat it time and time and time again uh, and say this is something that uh, we don't want to get involved in a very labor-intensive process around because it's something that I'm going to have to do on a monthly, weekly, quarterly basis, and therefore we ought to want to build in those efficiencies. Those things combined tend to drive people around um, the idea that, okay, it's for a very specific purpose, it's for a very specific goal or a very specific task, and therefore it's more uh, palatable to be driving through that change because they can see, you know, the shining city on a hill and what they're ultimately trying to shoot for. Great. Thanks, Dave. There's some great points there and really good examples as well, so thank you. I want to switch gears now um, to our, our last big topic, which is uh, networking. And um, I, you know, I'll just kick off to say that, look, when I started my legal career as a lawyer, um, you know, frankly, I didn't really understand what networking was and had this you know, belief that it just meant uh, you know, people who were really social and extroverted and who liked to you know, be at parties and wander around the room, that those are the people who were good at networking. And um, certainly have changed my views over time and, and have come to believe that it takes a lot more time and effort um, to do it effectively. Um, and we'd just, you know, like to start out and kick it off to Melissa and, and ask about, you know, how you built up your professional network um, and any tips, you know, or stumbles you made along the way that could help people who are, who are, you know, trying to build their network, especially within the, the P3 community. I think the, the way that I stumbled in the very beginning was to not focus enough on how important networking is. 
So I was striving really hard to learn about the roles that I had in in the firms where I've been, and I switched roles a lot. It's always focused on pricing and project management, but changing firms. And so I didn't really rely heavily enough upon the people that I was meeting who really could support me and um, who I could gain insight from. And it was maybe the second role that I took on that I realized it was really important for me to get more involved. And so what I tried to do is to find a couple of people who I thought, you know, for lack of a better term, were really hitting it out of the park in terms of, you know, having a skill set and qualities and, you know, leadership ability that I really wanted to emulate. And then I focused first on developing relationships with those people. Um, and, you know, really tried in a concerted way to have monthly conversations where we talked about issues with our, you know, things that we were seeing in the industry, you know, technology that we could maybe start looking into and focusing on, things that were happening in our firms that we all, you know, were able to connect on. And it's amazing how much the people that those people then kind of introduced me to new people and really opened up tremendous opportunities for me in this little sphere that we're in. Um, and it's amazing also how once you know just one or two people and they introduce you to a couple more people, how you realize that this really is such a small community and we kind of need each other as we're trying to work and develop what we're doing. Um, and from there, I got involved in a couple of different groups that where I feel really supported, where we have you know monthly calls and we discuss ongoing issues, and um, it's been a really great place for me, um, just in terms of getting insight and understanding where other people are coming from and, and the, the pressure points that we all face. Yeah, those are great thoughts, um, and, and couldn't agree more with a lot, a lot of the points you made. Um, it, David, I'm going to embarrass you just for a second, hopefully not too much, but, um, you know, just want you to talk a little bit about, you know, how, how you built your network and and maybe touch a little bit upon the importance of, you know, getting outside of, of the world of work in terms of making connections. And, um, you know, I, I remember, I think it took us maybe two times when I met you several years ago to connect the dots that we grew up in the same one square mile, uh, tiny little town just outside of Buffalo. Um, and just how, you know, making a personal connection, even if it's not work related, can, can go a long way into making connections and building your network. And, Maybe use that as a, a jumping off point to talk about how you, you know, built your network. Well, it's even more embarrassing than that. We went to the same high school, I think, yeah. and uh, your father was a teacher at my high school. So talk about a small world. And in fact, we grew up in Buffalo, uh, New York. In fact, a lot of the people in this space, uh, there's a few others who are uh, come from Buffalo, New York, and over time found that it's a small world, I'd say. Here's what I would say about networking and what I have found. Um, number one is really you have to plan and commit to your networking opportunities, but you can't do everything. And so really find relevant space in which you choose to interact with people within your sphere of influence as it relates to your career. Uh, but that doesn't mean only limit yourself to that because there's a lot of goodness and a lot of networking that happens outside of your sphere of uh, peers at other at other places. But in our industry especially, there's always a conference, there's always a meeting, there's always a place to be, and you can't be all places uh, all the time. 
so make a commitment to really be at one or two of those and make the most of your time while you're there. The next thing I'd say is really strive when you're at a networking event to meet new people. You know, it's very tempting to spend time speaking with people you already know. It's very tempting to limit yourself to a very few individuals when you're at these events. But I think part of networking is also trying to find a balance between who you know and really introduce yourself to other people who might be beneficial people to have within your network, to be on your personal board of directors and to really uh, talk to you and talk with you about things of concern to them, because I think that's a very important piece. My other kind of advice would be, uh, the last two things would be, one, be genuine. You know, it's a, it's a um, sometimes it's work to do networking, but it also can be fun and professionally, it can be very rewarding to network. Uh, and to make those relationships that build over time that um, that really help grow who it is you know and the things you learn. But also being genuine means don't just be a taker, be a giver as well. And wherever you can, try to give back and try to help people advance in their um, career and advance uh, personally within their own lives. And I think people do remember that and people are very are grateful for when you do that. And I think the last one is you have to stay in touch. Professional relationships, they strengthen and grow over time, so you have to stay in touch with that network. And the time to really stay in touch isn't when you really need something from that network. It's actually along the way. It's just a simple email. It's just a simple hello. It's a simple stopping by and seeing someone at a conference and just saying, you know, getting, gaining some interest in what it is they're doing, uh, what's happening in their lives is also very important because people who you become invested in want to also become invested in you. Yeah, there, there some really, really good points there. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with, you know, it can be really enjoyable. Um, you know, a lot of networking is, is, is talking to people who, who understand your space, who, you know, frankly, at times it's, it's therapeutic just to, you know, be able to share your your daily concerns, you know, life with other people who are in similar roles. Um, but it also takes work, and, and there are times when either it's just, you know, doing those outreaches um, to make sure you're staying in touch or, uh, you know, to, to force yourself, you know, away from going over to the table with the, the five people you always talk with to, to branch out um, can take a little work, and finding that right balance can, can really make all the difference. So uh, I think some great points there. Um, Melissa, let me, let me sort of close out with you and ask just sort of, in terms of the way you've, you've built up your network, um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about you know, the role that you know, conferences and events play. And David touched on this a little bit too, that you, you can't do everything. But um, you know, curious just in terms of you know, where you are. I know you've, you've been to P3 many times and I'm sure other conferences as well. Um, you know, how does that play into sort of your ability to build your network? It's been building my network through conferences and events has, been, has really been wonderful for me. Especially, um, it's, an, it's outside of my comfort zone to want to volunteer to participate and speak on panels and things. But what I've found is when I've done that and I've really um, tried to come outside of my shell a little bit and interact more with the people that I've been presenting with, that I've developed amazing relationships. So I guess that's one of the tips that I would um, give to anyone who's interested in kind of being more involved to just dip their toe in the water a little bit and um, to volunteer, to, to speak, and, and to be available to speak. Um, 
especially at a place like P3 where people are really, really open to hearing from you. And um, some of the people that speak at P3, you know, have spoken multiple times and maybe it's time to kind of open up the, you know, one of the, the events to other people who haven't, you know, been heard from before. And it's great then to, you know, you spend time preparing for, to, you know, for whatever your, the topic you're speaking on and you really get to know the people that you're working with. And so that's something that I would highly recommend. And if you're not speaking at one of the conferences, the other thing is just to make yourself available, you know, to, to step outside your comfort zone and to, to be willing to introduce yourself. And you'll find um, that there are really lots of people who are really interested in talking to you and getting your viewpoint. And so that's really where I've, um, you know, I've met people in the industry that I've kept in touch with um, over the last several years, and it's really been tremendously beneficial to me. Great. Well, look, I, I, I feel like we could, we could probably go on for hours, but unless I think you, the way you just summed it up is probably a fantastic place for us to, to close this, this podcast. So um, both Melissa and David, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been really enjoyable. Um, I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. And again, um, hope to see you all at P3 uh, in May uh, and have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this installment of the P3Cast. To learn more about the P3 Conference, visit legalmarketing.org slash P3. Cheers.